Hey everyone, and welcome to the Uncorked Corner podcast, where we cover the full spread of food and beverage industry topics. My name is Bianca, PR and marketing professional by day and food and wine connoisseur by night. And my name is Nick, an accountant with a passion for barbecue, beer, and whiskey. Today, we welcome Maggie Campbell. Maggie is a president and head distiller for Privateer Rum in Ipswich, Massachusetts. In today's episode, Maggie walks us through her story of how she got involved in the spirits industry, what drew her to Ipswich, and what makes rum a distinct spirit. Now, let's get into the podcast. Welcome to the show. To start, we'll let Maggie introduce herself and tell us about her role at Privateer Rum. Hey guys, I'm Maggie Campbell. I'm the president and head distiller at Privateer Rum. I joined them back in 2012, and before that I had a little bit of a background in brandy, sort of cognac-style inspired spirits, uh, as well as a background in whiskey. Awesome. We're excited to have you join us. So can you walk us through really kind of your story and how you got started in the industry? What inspired you to go into it? Of course. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it was a first career, which I think is a little bit rare uh, here in, in the U.S. Uh, mainland. But for me, it's uh, I was like 20 years old and I was uh, traveling through Scotland and I got stuck in the town of Oban. And I actually asked a woman uh, in the street, you know, what I should do while I wait for a ferry I was catching over to uh, Tobermory. And she said, uh, you have to go see the distillery. So that's the first time I like saw a distillery and was like, oh, this is a job that people do. They were really generous and kind of letting us like snoop around and look through stuff. Um, and so when I came back to the US, it was just something that like, you know, a lot of people always say like, I never knew you could do that as a career. I just knew it was a career that was possible. And I started studying wine because back then, you know, there was not a lot of ability to study or learn spirit, spirits production or distillation. So in learning wine, I learned all about fermentation and flavor creation and how to taste different barrels and select and build blends and, you know, quality control and all that kind of stuff, pumps and tanks and uh, cleanliness in a production facility. And, you know, obviously there's some differences between wine and spirits, but a lot of it is actually very similar. And so with that education, um, I kind of started poking around and just asking, you know, in Denver, Colorado, back in 2000, you know, 2007, 2008, I think I probably went to my first distillery I want to say like 2006, probably, um, poking around and starting to ask a lot of questions. And um, it was actually Todd Leopold of Leopold Brothers, who I got to know. He had relocated from Michigan to Denver, and I got to know him a little bit before, um, or his team a little bit before he relocated. And it, he was the one who really encouraged me to go to the Siebel Institute and get a degree so that as a young person, I could hold up a piece of paper and say, you know, I know I'm really, really young, but I swear I know what I'm doing. Um, and so studying at the Siebel Institute, uh, at the time, I was sure I was going to go into rye whiskey. You know, this is 2009, 2010. And, and I just thought, you know, Americans are going to want rye whiskey and no one really is going to have an old stock of it. Uh, David Pickerell, who was a distiller at Maker's Mark, the head distiller at Maker's Mark for 14 and a half years, was my professor. 
um, just before he started launching uh, Whistle Pig, which is a whiskey I think a lot of people know. Um, and so he was my professor. Uh, he definitely mentored me and my husband, who's also a distiller, uh, quite a bit. And um, I had reached out to Germain Raban, who is sort of a, you know, very well known sort of in like cognac or brandy circles. They do brandy in Northern California in a very traditional cognac style. Um, so with them, I had written them saying, you know, I want to learn about cognac, which is really difficult to do if you're not from there. Um, it's, there's not a lot that's accurate, that's very open or published or shared. And so I was really fortunate that, you know, in just writing them this offhanded email, they were looking for an assistant distiller. They knew I had a background in wine and was studying distillation and, and they were, you know, really excited for me to come on as assistant distiller. So I was thrown in the deep end very quickly. Um, but it was great because there I got to have a little bit of a hand in sort of the making of the wine into then what we distilled into brandy. And so, you know, getting to be in vineyards and test grapes and help, you know, go over fermentation data uh, as well as running a still and also tasting barrels, blending barrels, uh, working in a barrel warehouse that had 30 years worth of barrels, um, which is so rare in the U.S. Uh, with our, you know, younger scene, I would say. Obviously, Puerto Rico is part of the U.S., so they obviously have a very long history of distillation and lots of barrel warehouses, but here in sort of continental uh, United States, uh, it's much rarer to get that experience. So um, I learned a lot very quickly. And after leaving there, you know, Hubert Germain Robin, the founding distiller there, um, he and I became close friends and he had met the founder of Privateer uh, out here in Ipswich. And, you know, Andrew Cabot around 2010, 2011 was opening this distillery and he really wanted to make rum um, with best practices, really, you know, go for it. I think back in 2011, a lot of the rum on the market was, you know, really racing to be the most affordable, the cheapest stack, the cheapest liter bottle. Um, and he sort of saw this wide open space to treat rum as a fine spirit in this market and, you know, hopefully make that happen. Um, because it was just a wide open opportunity in his mind. So he had met Hubert and he said, you know, I want a distiller that's going to use top techniques and would rather be difficult and get it right. Um, do you know someone? And Hubert called me. And so I actually moved to Massachusetts here for the job. That's awesome. I'm actually based in Ipswich. And so when I went to pick up the spirits that we have, um, I couldn't believe how close it was to home. So that was really exciting. I, I had no idea you guys were that close. Oh, um, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. And uh, I was, I would love to come in sometime to see it, but I know nothing's open right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're trying to keep a ourselves and our community safe and, mm -hmm. and we're technically a part of phase four so it won't even be until phase four that we consider kind of opening but yeah it's so great like we are kind of tucked away I, I think people are surprised to find out we are we're right here so I love hearing that that's that's a common thing to hear awesome uh so 
for those of our listeners who don't know what rum is, could you tell us of the, all the spirits there are, what is it that makes rum rum? Yeah. So what makes rum rum um, is that it's distilled from sugar cane. So whether that's sugar cane molasses, fresh pressed sugar cane, those are really the traditional sources of rum. So if you wanted to sell rum in Europe, um, by law, it has to be sugar cane or a byproduct of sugar making. Um, so here in the U.S., you see some craft distillers use like bagged sugar, like crystallized sugar, uh, but that's definitely not legal everywhere. I would say globally, it's from sugar cane, and oftentimes people will center that perspective in the Americas in particular. So in Japan, they'll make sugar cane distillate um, and a lot of people, you know, say that's not rum, you know, they would consider it sochu. Or, um, you know, in other parts of Japan, they'll do rum distillate like a nine leaves. I consider it rum. Uh, but some people would say, you know, oh, no, rum is only centered in the Americas. And then when you get into styles of rum, um, it gets even more defined. So just like you have bourbon, uh, you have agricole. So bourbon has to be made in the United States in a very specific way from certain ingredients uh, in a certain style. Agricole has to be from Martinique, Guadeloupe, uh, these French territories made from sugarcane harvested from very specific places um, and fermented and distilled in a very specific way to be agricole. Um, and then, you know, say you had scotch, that would be like Jamaican rum. And so Jamaican rum has their own laws about what Jamaican rum is. And so, yeah, I, I think for me in general, if it's a spirit distilled from sugar cane um, at a strength where it still retains the flavor of that sugar cane, uh, it is still rum. Whereas if it was distilled to neutral, it would be like a vodka. Cool stuff. So can you talk to us a little bit about the color? Is it similar to a whiskey or tequila where it's the aging time that really brings out the color and go into a bit about, you know, how that aging and that color will affect the flavor differences? Yeah, absolutely. So we are a distillery that we don't use any additives of any kind. All of our rums are a product of spirit, water, age, and time. So if one of our rums has color in it, it came from something and in our case it's always aging in barrel and the color in rums broadly speaking can be a little deceptive you could buy a white rum that has actually been aged in a barrel and been heavily charcoal filtered to remove the color or you can buy a dark rum that may not be aged at all and is just colored to look aged and look dark um, so rum can be a little tricky with these different styles. Uh, there's also just the whole set of rum that can be aged, but then also colored to look older than it is or look a certain way or standardize a color. We don't do any of that. All of our rum is naturally uh, colored from the natural oak it came in. So we have rums like our Navy Yard rum, which is always going to be a cask strength rum aged in new oak so it's going to have a really rich deep color because when you use new oak the oak is very fresh and it extracts a lot of color whereas our new england reserve rum which you guys have and will taste a little later you'll notice it's sort of a medium amber hue and that's because it's a blend of 
some new oak barrels, but also some used whiskey barrels. Uh, so in the Caribbean, it's very common to be using used bourbon barrels. The bourbon barrel industry has to, by law, use a new barrel. So they are throwing out their barrels every single time. So the Caribbean buys them on the cheap and uses them a second time. Uh, and so they get this, uh, usually a softer color, and that's where you'll see they'll add color to sort of standardize or punch up the color. Uh, we don't do any of that. For us, the color is all natural. So, you know, that color, it comes from alcohol being a solvent. Whatever you put alcohol in, it will try to dissolve into solution. So if you put a cinnamon stick in a bottle of rum, it's going to turn red and taste like cinnamon. And if you put oak in that rum, it's going to absorb the color of that oak, hopefully a really lovely hue, uh, and some of that flavor. So that is one part of aging. The other part of aging is there's all sorts of very complex chemical interactions that happen as it sits in barrel to create more flavor. And there's also evaporation, which helps to improve and concentrate a lot of the flavors in barrel. So you get color from age, but you also get flavors from age that have nothing to do with the oak. Um, but the oak can impart a lot of vanilla and spice um, and toasted coconut. And depending on where that oak is from, you might get a little different nuance or texture if you're using like a, we do a cognac cask finish uh, on some of our rums. So that's going to be French oak. So you're going to get much more black vanilla bean, toasted coconut, uh, sort of singed honeycomb oak flavors. Whereas our stuff aged in new American oak is going to have more of that toasted coconut kind of flavor. And with all those flavors in mind, rum for me has always kind of been a summertime staple. I love mixing rums and drinks. And there's so many drinks that you can mix up using rums. What are some of your personal favorites and recommendations you have for, you know, some of the rums that you have? Yeah, um, especially this time of year. Uh, we just love a classic daiquiri. And this is not your daiquiri with your blender, although those could be like fun and silly sometimes. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but this is fresh limes, uh, juiced, uh, fresh sugar uh, being muddled into the lime juice, iced rum, shaking it. And it's just fresh and vibrant. It gets a little frothy. I love it. There's a cocktail called the Bee's Knees that's made with gin, but I don't use gin, I use rum. So it's a little bit of like, you take some honey and some warm water in equal parts to make a syrup, and then it's lemon juice. So it's lemon juice, that honey syrup, and some rum. And I really love that when I don't want as much acidity uh, as lime juice. It's a little bit softer, softer on your tummy if you need it. Uh, I do a lot of rum and tonic, especially our New England uh, white rum and tonic. It is like, it's just got this little like coconutty, subtle, like pineapple-y marmalade thing, a little citrus to it. It's bone dry. Um, you add the tonic, it gives it a little fresh sweetness, some ice, good to go, very low maintenance. Um, and then just last night, I had like a rum boulevardier. So this would be a really dark and boozy drink um, that would sort of be like a, there's a whiskey boulevardier or a gin Negroni. It's kind of the same drink, uh, but it's one part rum, one part sweet vermouth, one part Campari. And the Campari is really nice and bitter. The sweet vermouth has all the bittering herbs in it. You stir this on ice and drink it cold. Um, 
and it can be really like refreshing before or after dinner. But yeah, it's more of a dark boozy drink for like a steak type situation if you're grilling burgers or something like that. So they're pretty easy to uh, Google recipes for you. But yeah, I'd say daiquiri, uh, rum bee's knees, uh, rum boulevardier, and yeah, rum and tonic. And yeah, so all of our rums are bone dry. There's no sugar in any of our rums. We start with sugar in the form of molasses, but we ferment all that sugar into alcohol. And in fact, we know we're ready to distill when we measure that there's no sugar left in that container. It's all been converted to alcohol. And when you distill something, no sugar comes over. So our rums are really dry. I know that there's some rums out there on the market that are um, sweetened post distillation. So right before they're bottled, they add a sugar syrup. We don't do that. So it means that our cocktails are gonna be a little bit drier, a little bit brighter and a little bit fresher than maybe if you were using some of those sweetened rums. So just uh, heads up to people, if you don't like sweet drinks, we make a very dry rum so that you can control the level of the sweetness your cocktail has instead of using a really sweet uh, rum liqueur. So rum traditionally wouldn't be sweet at all. Uh, rum liqueurs would have sugar added, but there are some brands that market as a rum here in the U.S. that are sweetened. Nice. I am definitely not into sweet drinks, so going to be a good fit for me. Uh, you mentioned in there gin. Now, I noticed you have one gin in your lineup. I'm not big into gin. I haven't really tried it. Bianca loves it. Can you tell us a bit how that ended up in your lineup and uh, what makes it special? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so our gin is just a seasonal release. We make a little bit of it um, and release it every spring. I, you know, we've done some experimental stuff. We did a batch of peach brandy once that's still our most sought after bottling so many years later. Uh, we also did an uh, American single malt whiskey at one point. Um, but, you know, I had a background in distilling a variety of spirits. So it's nice for me to get to like experiment and have a little fun sometimes. Uh, but rum is definitely our stable spirit. So to make the gin, um, we essentially start with it, what is our New England white rum? Uh, and we take that, we ferment it, we double distill it just like we would our regular rum. And then we, at the height of winter citrus season, so when all the citrus oils are really like at their fullest expression, we hand zest all the citrus, we hand grind all the spices, we put lime leaves in, um, and we even hang a pineapple in the still, and then we redistill it so that it gets all those gin, herbs, and spice flavors, but uh, also is made from this molasses rum base. So the tr it's triple distilled, third distillation, it gets the infusion of herbs and spices. And we worked really hard to sort of kind of center the uniqueness of the Caribbean New England connection in this gin because it is 100% molasses base. And most of the flavors of gin are not British. I think we get, we think of gin and we think of London, but it's really the story of colonialization. It's allspice, it's cinnamon, it's grenade and nutmeg, you know, it's all these spices that are not from there. So we really like to kind of recenter it on the new world and say like, this is where these flavors and spices come from. Uh, we use lime leaves, which give like a really distinct kind of earthy floral kind of lime character to it. Um, and yeah, so we work really hard to make that one kind of special. Uh, 
and we don't, like I said, we only make a certain number of bottles every year and, and that's it. That's all we do. And I worked in a spice house in college. So I have a big love of spices and building spice flavors. And, you know, for too long, I had had gins where the spices were just kind of like stale. If you buy citrus peel in bulk, it's dried. There's no oils left. I was just like, I wanted the like full throttle herb spices and citrus notes. And so it was really nice for us to be able to put it together ourselves. Yeah, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself, right? <laughs> right, right. So speaking of special bottles, I also saw some distillers drawer day bottles on your website. Can you tell us yeah. about those as well? Yeah, every spring and every fall, we do a little uh, distiller's drawer release. Um, I remember the very, very first distiller's drawer barrel we ever had. And, and basically, as we have grown um, over the last nine years as a distillery, our inventory and our stock and our cellar have grown. And we've begun to really identify, like, this barrel is really special. Like, this is not something that should just go into our regular lineup or be put into a blend. Like this is really exceptional. Let's release it on its own as a single barrel. Um, and so that's sort of how distillers drawer started. And we've done some experimental rums. We did a double pot stilled white rum that was like really funky and powerful. Uh, we've, we've done a number of things with this distiller's drawer, but it's, it, it's very much speaks to the idea of whenever you go to visit a distiller as a distiller, they always have like a couple little bottles hidden in their desk drawer that they're really proud of. And they're like, Oh, come over here. You got to taste this. Um, and the founder of privateer, Andrew Cabot, that was an experience he had. He had that experience in Martinique. Uh, he was tasting with a distiller and just thinking like, why isn't this what you bottle? This is so cool. Uh, and just wanting to like release the rums that distillers love to drink um, out into the world, like just as we would drink them right from the cask. Um, no filtration, no additives, nothing. Um, and so for us, the distiller's drawer gives us that chance to kind of do those bottlings. So yeah, I think the I think the only one we have left is called Alliance, and it was in a cognac cask, which is a larger cask. So we had a couple more bottles of it, about twice as many bottles of it, because it's about twice the size of a normal cask. And I really love that expression because um, I distilled half of it, and my husband distilled half of it, and it is finished in that cognac cask. So the the name means the alliance, and I really like that. I thought that was. Very cute. Our, uh, our managing distiller, Dylan Turner, put that together. And I was really, it was very sweet when he told me what the concept was. That is so sweet. And it's, it's great to have a story like that. Um, it, I'm sure it's much more meaningful to the work that you do and everything. Uh, so that's really awesome that you guys can even work together and, and do that. Not everybody can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about the rums that we have here? We'll go into tasting them. I know Nick and I both have different ones. So we will start with the white rum. Um, maybe just tell us a little bit more about that rum in particular, and then we'll come back to the other we have. Yeah, so our New England white rum. Um, when we meet with other distillers, this is always the rum they're kind of like wanting to try from us uh, because it's very bare bones. You can taste everything we did. Uh, it's very, it's a very revealing rum and I love that. So it's a hundred percent single origin molasses. So all of our molasses is responsibly sourced from a single origin, a single mill 
We work with a brother, a brother and sister team founded this mill. Um, we work with a great family who does the importing for us. And this is very, very rare in the world of rum. Most molasses for rum in the world is bulk traded and bulk bought and, you know, is not really tied to its origin. It could come from anywhere, um, from whomever is selling it cheapest at the time. So for us to use a single origin, single valley, uh, sugarcane molasses is, is a real treat. So it's all single origin. The mill we work with is through Sugar for Good. So they do all kinds of work to ensure worker safety, environmental health, um, and community support, which is very, very important to us. And it is fermented very slow and cool uh, over six days. We use a blend of yeast, that's our house blend, um, as well as allowing natural yeast to play a role. So we have open top fermentation is what that's called in our industry. Uh, we double distill it. First distillation is in a big fat pot still, and second distillation is on a single column uh, batch still. So with column stills, you can have a single column, which just gives it a little bit of structure and brightness. You can have a multi-column, which can distill all the way to vodka. Uh, so there's a big range. So we're on the lighter end of leaving in more flavor and character. After it's distilled, um, it rests in a tank for three months. And as it rests, we get some of that really positive evaporation. We get some little bit of oxidation, meaning that flavor off the still might taste like fresh cut pineapple at first. But by the time it's kind of rested and gone through this process, it tastes more like pineapple marmalade. And then there's also some esterification where it's just a fancy way of saying like more flavor develops in the rum. Um, there's a lot of chemistry behind it, but it's sort of the same thing that happens in aging in barrel just without the oak. And it sits there, it rests. We uh, bottle it with just adding water to bring it to bottle strength because it comes off the still very high alcohol. No one would want to drink that straight. So we bring it down to bottling strength uh, and it's unfiltered, no artificial aroma essences, no artificial distillery flavors, no mouthfeel agents, nothing. It's just spirit, water, and time. I think people would often be surprised about all the products on the market that distilleries can use as additives to make their product uh, taste different. But for us, we just leave it exactly as it is. So this is why a lot of distillers who come and visit want to try it is we don't standardize the filter with any, we don't standardize the flavor with any filtration. We don't standardize it with any additions. We, we just leave it exactly how we made it. Um, which means that everyone on our team, you know, at the three distillers who work there, uh, me and Dylan and Peter, we really have to be in sync exactly how we're running the stills, how we're making our cuts, so that we get the same flavor uh, that we're going for every time. And, and that's uh, the one that I'm sipping on here, and it definitely doesn't need any help. It's delicious. It's smooth. It goes right down. It's awesome. Uh, so what does Bianca have over there? She's got our New England Reserve rum. So... This kind of goes through that similar process where it's fermented and the first distillation is in a pot still, but the second distillation is a little bit different. So when we make the New England Reserve rum, we are tasting about 25 barrels to create this blend. And the blend has a house style that we're always trying to reach, but we'll blend together casks that are double pot stilled, 
uh, for really rich fatty undertones, stuff that's, you know, gone through the single column distillation for more bright top note aromatics. We'll blend together barrels that have been aged in used whiskey, new oak, used brandy, uh, used rye whiskey barrels, all sorts of different barrels to create more complexity and depth. So this one is all about the art of the blend. And it is, all these barrels are married together to mix and mingle all the flavors. Uh, they are then recasked and finished in casks. Um, and then when we're ready to bottle, after about six months that this blend has already been resting in its finishing casks at the very end, we will add the last little bit of water and bottle it. Again, no filtration, no artificial oak flavoring, no artificial coloring, uh, no artificial age flavoring. It's just spirit, water, oak, and thyme uh, that ends up in that bottle. So hopefully there's a lot of complexity and depth and it is a blend of rums that are at the youngest two years old and at the oldest eight years old. That's really interesting. It definitely has a, a unique flavor. I have had a lot of rums, but I would say this one is definitely on the, I, on like the, it has a lot more flavor notes than some of the other ones I've tried. And I love like this, this smells so nice. It's like a very nice kind of soothing smell. So I think that's pretty cool. Cause you don't really get that with a lot of spirits. Yeah. And we always say like on the, the back palette side of the finish, you'll get this little like minerality. And to me, like that's the flavor of Ipswich and the salt marsh and like the ocean and the nor'easters. Um, because as we said, alcohol is a flavor or a solvent. It absorbs all of the flavor it comes into contact with. Mm -hmm. So if you have that Ipswich air in and around those barrels, it's going to pick up some of that character. And because every single drop is fermented, distilled, aged, and bottled here in Ipswich, Massachusetts, it's going to have the terroir of that salt marsh. I love that. Obviously being from here now, it's even more special. So I'm going to have to make this my staple. <laughs> <laughs> Um, before we go, could you tell us where we can find, uh, your rums and spirits in stores, online, where can listeners find them for themselves? Absolutely. So our rums are available all over Massachusetts, restaurant and retail. We sell rum at the distillery. Um, and we also work with Sealbox, uh, out of Washington, DC, and they can ship to about 22 states. Uh, otherwise, you can find our rum in the EU through La Maison du Whisky or Vellier. We're very fortunate to be partnering with them over there. That's been wild and exciting uh, to know that rum fans are looking for it as well. But I would say those are the, the top places to find it. Great. And where can we find you on social media and online? Yeah, my handle is at Half Pint Maggie, and I'm on Instagram. That's definitely the best way to find me. And Privateer is at Privateer Rum on Instagram, Privateer Rum on Facebook. Great. Well, it was so nice getting to know you and learn more about Privateer and the different rums that you have. I'm excited to mix this into a drink later on since I have some left. And uh, we are just so appreciative of your time and just uh, thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. And, you know, when we emerge to a place where we can host people, I'd love to have you guys out. Absolutely. We'd love to come down. We had a great time talking to you today. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thank you so much. Be sure to follow us on social at Uncorked Corner and on the blog at uncorkedcorner.com for a taste of more food and beverage content.
And if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave a comment, subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Thanks for listening.